0: Hi again, everyone, John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, we took a little time out uh, during the Memorial Day weekend and then had a, uh, a couple logistics with guests, but I, I think we're we're back and, uh, and solid for the foreseeable future, so thanks for hanging with us. Hey, this week, um, we've got a great guest, one of our unsung heroes. uh You'll recall last year we started a, uh, a program through the museum uh, to recognize folks uh, who have, throughout their river careers, uh, have made significant uh, contributions uh, to the watershed and to the area and uh, called them Unsung Heroes of the Asable. And uh, we decided that we would go ahead uh, and continue that and add uh, more deserving people as each year went on. and so. One of our uh, recipients this year is David Smith, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation with David. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Here we go. Hey, hi, everybody. John Porteous here for the Lovells Township Historical Society. I'm with my uh, normal partner, Richard Perry, and our special guest this week, David Smith. Uh, David is... uh, one of our featured unsung heroes of the Assable this year. Um, as you might recall from previous podcasts, an honor bestowed upon people who have done amazing work for the river, but may have not had the spotlight shown on them as much as they deserve to have. So, David, welcome. Well, Thanks for
1: joining us. Thank you, John. Thank you for for inviting me. It's uh, kind of a surprise. Um, I feel honored. I'm pleased to be here.
0: Well, we're delighted to have you. The um, typically, David, well, we're, where we start is um, just having our guest tell us a little bit. How how did you come to the river system? How was this something that was always part of your life, or a late in life development, or somewhere in the middle? Uh,
1: so, I'm I'm going to be 70 years old this August, and uh, when I was probably 14, 13 or 14 years old, so what's that, 50, over 50 years ago, uh, my Boy Scout troop came up to canoe on the Asable, and then, then um, it wasn't too long after that that we got involved, the troop got involved with the Midland to Mackinac footpath that the Boy Scouts, were kind of sponsoring, and, and our troop was assigned a section in northern Crawford County. And pretty soon we were camping at what was then the the uh, Big Creek State Forest Campground on just off 612 at the West Branch of Big Creek. And we'd come up uh, every fall, every spring, and often in the winter for a polar bear camp out. Oh, nice. Um, it was my first introduction to trout because, uh, there were fishermen. I figure it was probably opening weekend of, of trout fishing season. Um, there were fishermen there and they talked to us and show us what they'd caught and share what they'd caught with us because, oh, nice. because, uh, you can eat fish out of big Creek. <laughs> um,
0: it's never a bad idea to feed Boy Scouts either. That's yeah. <laughs>
1: so that was, that was the first, you know, th- that was back in the sixties. And, and then, uh, after I turned 18, I became a, an assistant scout master and still came up with the troop, uh, not as often, but, uh, still came up to, to levels, uh, learned about levels and, and, uh it was It was sort of interesting that when Marie and I decided that we might be interested in a summer place, a part time place after visiting friends at Houghton Lake, we agreed that we didn't want to be on a lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't like how busy Houghton Lake was, especially in, and and uh, I had read someplace that rivers go someplace. So that kind of appealed to me. (laughs) And we started looking in uh, somewhere around 2000. So 30 years after the Boy Scout stuff, we started uh, looking for a place. Little before that, we decided to go camping one Memorial weekend and the state forest campground that I was familiar with just outside of Midland was full. So we headed north and the next one was full and a couple after that were full. Um, and we decided, well, we'll go to the first, we'll, we'll set up camp at the first campground, state forest campground that has a spot for our tent. And that was Rainbow Bend on the main stream of the Asable just off of, of, um, of uh, McMaster's Bridge Road. And for, I think, probably four years, uh, we never looked anyplace else. We just headed right for Rainbow Bend and, and uh, spent time in the river hiking, driving around, had a little Jeep. We drove on some of the trails, uh, rented canoes. Uh, our son, Isaac, at the time was was probably 13 and 14 maybe, and he was pretty competitive, and if he heard people in front of us, we had to pass them. <laughs> so we, uh, we got down to Rainbow Bend in a rented canoe from Rays, and, and I was kind of bragging, yeah, we got here in five hours or something, and the, the livery map says that's an eight-hour trip. And the guy that was picking up the canoe said, yeah, the racers make it in about two and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> so That was also my first ex, uh, first introduction to the canoe race and to the River riverboat. Cause we passed one and said, what kind of boat is that? And it's an Asabo riverboat. I'm like, oh, go figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, we bought our cabin, uh, eventually found found a cabin, bought it, and pretty much just hung out at the cabin, uh, did some hiking, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, uh, visiting with neighbors, and uh, sitting by the river and just watching, watching the water. We also both started fishing at that time because we didn't come here to fish. Uh, we weren't fishermen before that, or fishers, I guess. But... Um, Did very little, very little um, stuff very far away from, from the, uh, from the cabin.
0: That's fun. that's fun. The uh, you and your son at that at thirteen—that's a pretty great age to, you know, there. There's a little independence there, and a you know, little less need for, you know, that minute-to-minute supervision so more of a partner in uh, the adventure than a uh, a dependent in the adventure yeah uh,
1: that's that's I, I never you know articulated it that way but that's really nice i like that yeah. he's now um uh lives in livingston montana oh wow. i asked him asked him once how far are you from the yellowstone he says well if you cut through parking lots it's like five blocks but if you <laughs> if you drive on roads it's about seven, seven blocks, and he, um, not too long ago, like in the last year, bought a, a raft, and started outfitting the raft, and, and goes down the river pretty regularly now.
0: That's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you've accompanied him?
1: We've been with him once, it's, it's a long way to go, and, um, well, there's so not it, a quick way to get there yeah, either. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and we have um, we have five dogs right now. Okay. So that makes it even pet-friendly motels get kind of goofy when you they ask how many dogs do you have and you tell them five.
0: Exactly. A bus full. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: actually a 40 line van full.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs>
1: <clears> That's kind of great. dogs do you have? Well, uh, Marie has four Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, little miniature toy spaniels. They All four of them weigh about 55 pounds together. Oh. And then uh, I have, and Marie makes sure there's that distinction, I have uh, a Newfoundland. That is about 125 pounds by himself. Hmm. So uh, they all get along. They don't really play together, cuddle up together, but <laughs> they don't they don't fight either. Well, the Newfie could so, give
0: everybody a back ride. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah.
1: I wish that he, We got him from Isaac for a number of reasons, but but uh, I wished he had cart trained him. Mm-hmm. He's six years old now and and showing beginnings of. Hip dysplasia, so mm. it's not really the time to right. to introduce those sorts of things. But we figured he could have given the other dogs rides in a cart if oh, for sure if he'd had the training.
0: <laughs> hmm. They're fun dogs, yeah.
1: He's he's like I said, 125 pounds of sweetheart. I mean, he's just <laughs> amazing.
0: Yeah, my brother's got a couple there. <laughs> they're big animals yeah, <laughs> they yeah. Are,
1: they must spend some time in the river huh yeah yeah he'd love to but uh it'd take him two and a half days to dry out I think oh I and had. and not only the wet but the the uh tracking in so he's been in the river but not probably nearly <laughs> as much as he'd like to. car wash this, for yeah, him. <laughs> wait till there's a bunch of noisy tubers combined and turn him loose. You know? Yeah, he'd, he'd just want their attention. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> well, so you're up north. You, you, uh, you and Maria and Isaac have, have found a cabin, and, and you're enjoying, and I I, I sense that, and in, in you're a crew... You were a career educator, correct? I was, yeah. And so, in that in that sense of knowledge gathering and learning and sharing and stuff, it it, it feels like you pretty much got immersed in the uh, in the conservation scene up here pretty quickly.
1: Not so quickly, actually. Uh, yeah. It was probably we'd probably been hanging out at the cabin for six, six years. I'd have to, I remember things now by going back and looking at pictures because Mm. all the digital pictures have dates on them. There you go. And, and, uh, I think it was probably 2008, maybe 2009, but it'd been six going on seven years before we, uh, got involved with, with volunteering. It uh, started out with. Um, we knew about Huron Pines early on, and and uh, kind of got a connection to them. Got started getting their newsletter, and and. Uh,
0: and this is the and, organization, not the state forest, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah
1: okay. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't the Huron. Actually, it's the, a the national forest. a nonprofit. Yes. <laughs> it's actually a national, national forest. Thank you, national uh, forest. U.S. forest, or Thank I you. don't know what they call it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here on Manistee. And um, they, they announced in a newsletter that they were, in 2010, they were doing um, uh, 11-11. They... they their service area was 11 counties in Northeast Michigan and they were going to have a volunteer event in each of the 11 counties. And I looked at the calendar and I said, well, we can do that. So I sent them back saying, sign me up for all of them. And after I got to know the folks there a lot better, they told me that, yeah, we should Pass that around the office, and everybody laughed. Was there a little bit about uh, didn't didn't believe it would happen? <laughs> yeah, and uh, so there are two things that I tell people. One, my brother got married, and it was going to be on the Saturday of a of an event. I was going to have to make a real tough decision: do I go to the Huron Pines event, or do I go to my brother's wedding? No. <laughs> Turns out. We weren't invited to the wedding anyway. Uh. <laughs> no, it was a it was just his, <laughs> his, decision he, made easy. <laughs> his kids and his his uh soon to be wife's kids and their parents right. and brothers and sisters were left out. So mm-hmm. so, so I actually I guess beers in the cooler Yeah. I guess um uh you know, now that I think of it, that was two thousand ten, but we had started with um Actually, here on the North Branch, uh, I don't know who sponsored the event TU, the, the Mason Griffith Founders Chapter, or the Watershed Committee, but they were working on the landings at uh, Dam 4 and Morley Road. And somehow we found out about it and showed up for that and met a bunch of people and found out about more things. So it was actually before the Here on Pines thing, but the Here on Pines thing uh kind of immersed us. The other thing that happened is that um, the fall events were taking place on school days and uh, I solved that the the I think in in an elegant way after 30 <laughs> 36 years in the classroom I I left. I
0: <laughs> I tell people well I
1: had to retire from teaching so I could I could make all eleven events. But I could have just gotten a personal day, I suppose, and, and I, showed I, up I, anyway. I like just, but, you know, go for yeah, it, full yeah. throttle. When it quits being fun, quit doing it. Yeah, yeah. well, well th- I'd say quit doing it before it quits being fun. I like I said, I taught thirty six years public school and like to think that I left on top. I didn't want to be that guy that yeah he was pretty good but probably should have left a few years ah, sooner. Okay. So look on my principal's face. I took a lot of people by surprise. Been an NFL he... quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. gonna stay for that extra season. Yeah. yeah. Well, they... stay, exactly. <laughs> I didn't get near the paycheck that a quarterback. Yeah,
0: had. it's funny like... Leslie's said a similar thing when she retired after her 36 years Uh, basically the same let's go out on top yeah yeah
1: and um, you know my favorite story is that the summer after I I was finished and it really I really didn't feel it because I'd been practicing for retirement for 36 years you know (laughs) three months a year well
0: yeah you you had a little training season exactly
1: and we were watching a (laughs) uh, movie on Netflix about a teacher in France that had a multi-age classroom from four years old to 10 or something like that. And and he was retiring at the, at the end of that school year. And I'm watching him and this was almost like a documentary and he was, he was good. And I thought to myself, i I think I was a pretty good teacher. I wonder if I should have left when I did. But the movie finished, and I quit thinking about that. So, <laughs> so Quick, uh, quickly got rid of those thoughts. Yeah, oh, Netflix yeah. will lead you astray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you,
0: you really did kind of hit it full throttle. I mean, if there's a conservation organization in this area, I, I suspect your name has been associated in one way, shape, or form, or another.
1: Probably almost. Yeah, there might be a couple that, <laughs> that you know, it just wasn't time. But, yeah, the, started with Huron Pines. Uh, after that uh, effort to to make all of those events, um, I got asked to consider being on their board of directors, which I accepted, and... Uh, wasn't long after that that uh, there was an opening at on Mason Griffith founders chapter uh, board and and I was asked to fill that opening somewhere in there uh, I'd worked one summer when I was teaching one of the few summers I worked um, at the uh, Chippewa Nature Center in Midland, and one of the tasks that I was given was talking to homeowners around the nature center that had purple loosestrife growing in their ditches. And oh, wow. if they would let the nature center treat that uh, as an invasive. So I'd known, I'd learned about purple loosestrife in the very early 90s, and all of a sudden, on canoe trips up and down the river, mostly down, uh, <laughs> uh, we start seeing purple loosestrife flowers, and so I went to the property owners, Sabo River Property Owners Association, um, to propose a project modeled after um, what what um, Glen Everly was doing here on the North Branch. You'd started that in 2008, I think. And so this would have been 2009. And they agreed to do that and also, uh, recruited me to be on their board. And we inventoried the first year, the next year, uh, worked with Huron Pines, AmeriCorps volunteers and treated the river from town down to, um, Stéphane Bridge. We inventoried to uh, Parmalee uh, in the next few years and started doing projects to to remove purple loose strife on the mainstream. The, um, the two stories that, that really resound with me are uh, the first time we did it, there were five of us in three canoes, and we Started in town at Ray's, Ray's then, Mm -hmm. uh, Old Asable now, and and, uh, our canoes were full of purple loosestrife by the time we got to the expressway. Mm. Problem was that the trailer to haul all this stuff uh, home was down at Burton, so we had to paddle the rest of the way with full canoes. Um, Probably should have just waded upstream and and uh, towed the canoes with us and then gotten a ride back anyway uh, <laughs> it was probably not that same year but the next year Marie and I had noticed that there were a lot of plants around the the little bridge on the Rayburn tract and so we decided, we'll go in there, float down to Burton's and collect loose strife along the way. We never left the bridge, never got out of sight of the bridge, filled the canoe. Uh, wow. So those were, that's, that was like the beginning. Uh, two years later, another AmeriCorps group went from town to, to uh, Stefan Bridge. And there were four canoes that time and none of them were full. We collected purple strife in one day all along the way. Um, so we had made a big difference there. At Rayburn, uh, the next year we were there, I think there were, after spending like four hours filling a canoe, the next day there were, and no, I'm sorry, the next year, there were like four plants and uh every year after that there haven't been any because we really that's pay close attention to it so we'll we'll never get rid of
0: it work either this is this is tough stuff purple loosestrife is not just a little pluck it
1: yeah kind of plant exactly uh although we have changed some of that uh we refuse to use herbicides Mm -hmm. which would probably work pretty quickly pretty dramatically but um You know, something sponsored by the Property Owners Association. Uh, Our members, even if you could show them science that says it's perfectly safe, aren't interested in that happening. Um, So when we started out, we were digging root wads and and, uh, putting them in bags, contractor bags that could handle the load, and filling up canoes, both space and weight. Um, the problem was that, that purple loosestrife will regenerate from pieces of root. And so when you pull a huge gob of roots out of the ground, all the tiny pieces break off. And the next year there's tiny plants growing. Um, So we've switched a little experimenting and we've switched now to cutting the flowers off still. So seeds are stopped and then just cutting the stems at the ground and hopefully doing it in August that we starve the roots from their fall nutrition and over time, they'll, they'll die. I've done it at my house. Um, we have a little island out in front of us and there was a plant growing there. So instead of digging it out, I just cut it off. And the next year it came back and haven't seen it after that. So I'm pretty sure it'll work. How long it'll take, I don't know. But it's much, much easier for the volunteers to cut stems and to, sure. to dig things. No,
0: is <laughs> the, the preferred protocol still to take... Um, Take a bag and bag the flower before you cut it and kind of so that the seeds don't release as you're I, harvesting?
1: I think that's, we don't do that. We, okay. we gently cut the flowers off and put them in like a grocery plastic grocery bag. Mm-hmm. And then as you're banging the plant around, you're not knocking leaves off. Another thing that's just insidious about purple loosestrife is it'll have a flower stalk maybe six to eight inches Tall, and the seeds will be maturing at the bottom of that stalk, and the the blossoms or buds at the top haven't opened up yet. So it's it's it really hardwired for <laughs> survival. Yeah. yeah, if you yeah. could plant kudzu and choke it out. See, yeah. there we go. <laughs> well, actually, I I read some report that said that if it spends like several months under three feet of water, it'll die. Hmm. So I thought, well, we could put small dams in yeah. on the oh, river. Geez. Dam the river up again. Yeah. <laughs> dam it. Flood the purple loose stripe out. And then get grants for dam removal. See, there yeah, we go. You got to bomb Cambodia to Let's save see, Cambodia. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> see, you know, kidding aside, um, we. I'm going to segue real quick. Um, I want to talk more about your river history but we have an issue up here right now um around the man of beneath ccc bridge um we have dynamo, and it's outside of just visually yucky it's really dangerous for the river and it's also extremely uh, communicable between watersheds can you can you talk a little bit about that? I think um, you had the advantage of sitting on a webinar uh, pretty quick, <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty recently. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Actually, actually, just this morning, uh, Eagle, a former DEQ, uh, uh, sponsored a webinar, and and the main presenter. Was uh, Dr. Ashley Murky from Louisiana? Not Louisiana State. Sorry, Lake Superior State. Yes. <laughs> My brother and sister both went to Louisiana State, so this one's a little uh, further north. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from uh, LSSU, and uh, learned a lot about it. One of the most interesting things uh, for me was that. It's not considered an invasive species. It's a nuisance species, but it's not invasive. The, the cells that grow the algae or become the algae or something, I don't really understand how all that works, are in the water. And under the right conditions, they bloom, which is a little different than like blue-green algae in Lake Erie and some of the lakes in Isle Royale up in Lake Superior, but uh, it, it, they start growing these stalks that then becomes the mats that uh, are what you see in the pictures and uh, then those pieces can break off and potentially spread it. Uh, but it's not the mat itself that spreads it, it's the single cell diatom I believe that can grow new stuff so on um so it's not an invasive it's but it is definitely a nuisance um
0: well, and persistent as well
1: yeah the, they have no idea at this point there's no way of no known way of getting rid of it in the stream um new zealand rivers have had it for decades uh, out west it's pretty, pretty ubiquitous. Uh, the St. Mary's River and the UP between, between, uh, well, right, right around, uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan and Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. It, there are a number of sites and now it's in, uh, in the Manistee below CCC Bridge. A couple of things that they said is that uh, it does not seem, and this is from studies in in New Zealand, if I'm remembering correctly, it has not uh, had a huge adverse effect on fish biomass in the rivers. And the macroinvertebrates uh, may actually increase somewhat the issue becomes that it's the very tolerant species of macroinvertebrates, um, midges and or caddis. I was going to say that's not an
0: across-the-board declaration, is it? I mean, for all the you know various bugs that we see.
1: No, the the uh, the high-quality bugs, uh, mayflies, stoneflies, and caddis decrease. The the Indicators of lower water quality inc- tend to mm-hmm. increase, so there's still fish food there, but it's way different than.
0: Well, is it altering the saturated oxygen?
1: Uh, I don't remember that being okay. addressed. That that'd be a real, real good question. Should have asked me a well, couple hours ago.
0: But it's all good. We'll yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find we'll that reach out. out and, yeah, uh, listeners, so. stay tuned to uh, to additional. Uh, yeah. episodes because this is in all seriousness this is kind of a big deal um, big deal to the point where I think people are actually in a soft way being encouraged to just avoid that stretch of water
1: I think that's uh, that is Softly. one <laughs> one possibility uh, and what that means is that the anglers who care about the various rivers will will um, adhere to that. Uh, unfortunately, there are, there's another group of anglers out there and they probably won't. Uh, so avoiding the water is a, a good step. Cleaning, um, cleaning equipment, including waders, uh, fishing line, boats, trailers. <laughs> is a huge step and uh, they mentioned bleach solutions I think 2% bleach solutions and, and 5% dish detergent solutions and soaking that equipment for a minute can kill it. Uh, letting it dry out can slow it down but it'll, it can live for I think the number the the time was 40 days out of the water it's it's significant
0: and even more so in that given the fibrous nature of uh, boat ropes or felt soles on waders uh, these are all you know great hiding spots for 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 this entity to hide and avoid uh, cleansing if you will or you know death through heat uh, it, it's people are going to have to be diligent with this I think
1: I hope they are I mean you're right They'll, that's what it will take hopefully people will will uh, start paying attention and, and uh, dealing with that yeah um, so we were talking about about uh, you know different conservation groups so so I think we're here on Pines, Mason Griffith Founders, the Property Owners Association. I got on their board, and then, immediate, almost immediately, the current president stepped down, and and uh, I need to adopt the Nancy Reagan methodology oh, no, of dealing you. with things. <laughs> just, just say no. But I didn't, and so uh, there I was and uh, the watershed committee i started representing the property owners on the sabo river watershed committee and chaired that for uh a, quite a few years one of the our real big achievements was hosting uh, an americorps volunteer from may to november for five years and and uh I supervised that person, so uh, got to share what I knew about the river with these just out of college youngsters, and uh, have stayed in touch with a lot of them. Since and, and when for you the say host, do you
0: mean host in your home while they're no doing summer no things they're just they mentor?
1: they find their own uh, lodging, uh, but but we pay for them. okay uh, there's there's a it's partially covered by a grant and then the host organization has to come up with I think it was in the neighborhood of six thousand dollars and then pay for uh, like we bought a, each year we bought our volunteers nice waiters I mean that you know, not high end, but not, not rubber waiters. Something either. to get them so, through the summer. for Yeah, sure. waiters, um, paid for for anything that they needed to to do their uh, volunteer work, and got a lot done. So that was with the watershed committee, uh, and somewhere along the lines, I was asked to be on anglers of the Asables board. And that, I think that's been probably 10 years now. And, uh, so l- some overlap in all these groups, but different people sure. in all of them and, and, um, made, made tremendous friendships and, and involved in a lot of different events from, uh, macroinvertebrate surveys, uh, couple different ways um read surveys for different groups so you you learn about the river the best way to learn about the river is to wade a stretch and and so I
0: you work with Jerry on that at all
1: a lot uh, (laughs) um and and uh he was I mentioned you know making friends and and Started out the first time I met him, he was just this goofy guy that had a lot of stories to <laughs> to tell, and somewhere along the line, um, we became pretty good friends. And uh, the way I like to to describe it is when we were doing a red survey, and and uh, my wife Marie was helping and uh she and and jerry were pretty similar height and jerry said marie you watch me if i can get through the water you know whatever bend it was you can get through and that's when (laughs) we became jerry and i became dear friends and and uh, i still you see there's a hole
0: left i mean we're I think about him almost, you know, yeah. every day. It's, uh, he was a heck of a force for a little so. guy. He'd <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kind of like a house rent, big voice, <laughs> a little package. <coughs>
1: Excuse me, aside from the conservation stuff, you were a photographer, right? You did no Serious for I know yeah. you took pictures from Grey Rock for a couple years for us. Yeah, um, that started when my first son was born Benjamin in 79 uh, I wanted to take pictures of him and I bought a a used 35 millimeter SLR camera and and uh when he graduated from high school so a little over 18 years later the strap I had on it broke and I it fell to the floor in the bleachers oh, no, watching I- graduation and camera still worked, the lens was pretty much trashed, and Marie bought me a a replacement um, 35 millimeter camera, which then morphed into digital cameras and could use the same lenses originally, and and (laughs) I took the camera with me pretty much everywhere, so... Uh, I remember that. Every time yeah, I saw you, you had a damn yeah. hammer on your hip, uh, so like and then, Yeah. Uh, went once with it, using it in the river, and somebody said, you must have pretty good insurance. And I thought, you know, I guess. I mean, it's my just regular insurance. They're not specially insured. And then I added up how much I had over my shoulder, and I went out and bought a, Bought a uh, Pelican box to put the cameras in <laughs> f- yeah, when I was on it's the funny river. How they those were still add up yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were still out of the box when I was using them, but <laughs> but uh, in a canoe or whatever, and so I I took a lot of pictures, and then I don't know, a couple of years, well, for about a year, not as many volunteers showed up for some event, and you can't really do the work and take the pictures and the work needed to be taken care of. So I, I got away from the camera and then cell phones start taking such great pictures that uh, I got a lot of drawers full of camera equipment. It,
0: it is kind of funny how that has evolved. I was a long time, uh, you know, with, analog cameras and you know, then digital and it's you know everybody and their twin sister's a photographer now with a cell phone
1: and, 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 and they put out good stuff yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know I can nev- my <laughs> never remember the fella's name but a um, professional photographer was asked what's the best camera to use and he said the one you've got with you and then he followed that up with, with his tips for using an iPhone to take better photographs. And so there's, you know, I always used to say a lousy, a lousy picture is better than no picture at all. And when I shared my pictures with the different groups, I always, throughout the, ones that I thought were lousy. So everybody thought I was pretty good, but <laughs> I was just lucky most of the time. And and pretty discerning about what I was willing to share.
0: Exactly. Well, you, you, Good it's standards. like rod
1: making, cover up your mistakes. Well, exactly. Yeah. You, yeah.
0: You, you, you don't want to put a bad rod out. You don't want to put a bad image out. It's You know, fortunately people put up with our uh, podcast, which may not be... Top of the line, but we're having fun with it. Price is right, (laughs) exactly.
1: And and it's—I'm pretty sure it's the best one around. Uh, Well, thank you. Best one we do in levels. (laughs) It's—it's—it's the best podcast in levels. There we go. Yeah.
0: There's that's we needed a new award, so we'll put that up in the museum. uh, (laughs) Make a little certificate for ourselves,
1: originating from the world headquarters here.
0: Exactly. Well, I mean, this is we've we've been encouraged to do more. uh, What is it? Self promotion. So, uh, we'll save that off for the end of the podcast. But um,
1: if you like it, send money.
0: Exactly. So, as as we look forward, David, what? you know you're still in leadership role in a number of organizations and you're you're still intimate with the watershed what do you see as our our big challenges as we as we look 3 to 5 years down the road where where do you see volunteer efforts and things going to uh that we'll need to focus on
1: that's How's that that's for a, that's a, yeah that's a tough one and um, so I'll just real quickly I'll approach it from a couple different directions uh one um, I it should be apparent that I'm pretty pretty keyed into invasives and mm-hmm. and there are, uh, start out with purple loosestrife, and I see more and more invasives in the watershed and close to the river. Uh, and I make that distinction because the watershed has got an awful lot of land that doesn't touch the water, but it's where the water, you know, the water ends up going to. So, um, you yeah, know, we've had a couple small uh outbreaks of phragmites typically much bigger threat to uh lake shores than the river uh area down around saginaw bay they they treat it uh, with small helicopters uh, and spraying herbicides mm. uh, so we
0: I don't know that we want to get involved in that. <laughs> no. Well, no, not at all. But the <laughs> the
1: the key to invasives is early detection rapid response. So, for example, probably from a boat trailer, there was phragmites growing on Townline Road about maybe a couple hundred yards from the river and on forest service land and and uh, I alerted them to that and the next time I went by there it had been treated sprayed cool. with an herbicide, but, wow. but it was dead. Diesel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that. Uh, so there's always going to be invasives. We can, we can minimize, for example, purple loosestrife, but I don't think we'll ever get rid of it. We've tried, you know, the, the removing plants we've introduced, um, uh, tens of thousands maybe over a hundred thousand uh, leaf-eating beetles on mm-hmm. the south branch and the the mainstream and we still see increased predation on on leaves. So the beetles are still hanging around. The they tend to eat themselves out of existence. Um, but that's how that's why why uh, Eurasian environments aren't you know, neck deep in purple loosestrife because they have natural predators there right. uh, that we don't have. So that's going to be a constant, uh, I think, focus to stay on top of whatever the new uh, invasives are and uh, try to minimize their their threat. Uh, another change that doesn't seem avoidable at this point is climate change and, and what is our warmer climates going to do to cold water streams. And, and, uh, I'm not involved in that. I try to read about it, but there are organizations, groups that are getting together to, uh, focus on that. so I think that's going to be uh, something that we're going to see more and more about. I mean, we're we're blessed here with cold water streams, and that could the there's a potential for that changing significantly as we you know get down the road. Um, and then there's other things uh, that threaten the river. Uh, for example, um, erosion, uh, and and there's two ways to look at re- erosion. You know, sandy banks have eroded for you know forever. Uh, it's just what sand does. And most recently, people cause erosion, and those are the those are the things that. Uh, need the most attention paid sure. to them. Sure. Well, I mean, that's, that's where, per,
0: a lot of that's preventable.
1: Yeah, preventable and treatable. Um, so erosion's going on. Uh, beaver dams.
0: Always, always the top three. In the <laughs> upper water, <laughs>
1: yep. uh, headwaters. And uh, so where's the problem <laughs> with, with the beaver dam? Beavers are kind of cool. Well, they kind of are. But they, their ponds or their dams create ponds, which warms water, which affects cold water streams. And that's and that's and here in our geography. Yes, and
0: elsewhere, beavers are revered as wonderful yeah, helpers. Yes. Yeah. So we, we were talking
1: out. a little bit earlier about uh, my son Isaac, who lives in <coughs> Montana. There, beaver dams are a, um, a good thing because they do warm the water somewhat and, and uh, um, it, that's better for the fish. But these are also high energy streams exactly. and you get a big <laughs> snow melt hopefully we'll have more big snow melts in the Western rivers mm-hmm. or the mountains that feed the Western rivers and they blow the dams out. So they're there for a few years and then they're gone and the beavers start over someplace else. Here, you know, our streams aren't like that and they can be around even when they leave for whatever reason, um, the ponds can remain. So, uh, and they also add to sediment in the river, often sand, but not just sand, because when water stops at a dam, it it doesn't carry the sediment anymore and it builds up and then for whatever reason, the dam breaches that gets all carried downstream. So that's going to be an ongoing thing. I don't think we'll ever, uh, ever be rid of it. You know, like a lot, like the purple loosestrife, I, I tell people, if I had a wand and I could just wave it over the Asabo river and every purple loosestrife plant, in the watershed was gone, it'd still be back next year because there's seeds in the seed bank that'll last for, I've read from three to seven years, um, and they'll sprout new plants. So Hmm. it's always going to be there.
0: Well, it's the, the good news is, is that I think we're seeing a, a greater number of folks get involved uh, we had a little dip, and I'm, I think we're starting to see a little uptick on people participating. And these types of projects are, are target rich environments for folks to come out and spend a, you know, three or four hours, meet some great people, and do some good work.
1: And, and I think that involvement kind of goes two ways. One, people that love the river show up to, to uh, help protect it. And, and enhance it mm-hmm. and people that just show up because, well, I've never done something like that before and, and I'll work on this project or that project. And pretty soon they become people that love the river. Mm-hmm. And so it grows that way. Um, I, I don't know if I mentioned it during the, the podcaster before, but Marie and I didn't come to our cabin first on the river because we wanted a place to fish from, but we started fishing from there. We learned to fish and, uh, in some of those groups, like the property owners, isn't a fishing organization. The watershed committee is, is bigger than just fishing, Mm -hmm. but Trout Unlimited, Cold Water, Fish, Trout in the name. Anglers of the Açable, it's a fishing group. And I may be one of the, the, uh, may be the person that fishes less than anybody, but I've believed from the beginning, 12, 13, 14 years, if it's good for the fish, it's good for the river. I like the river. I'll participate in these groups that, that want good fishing because that's good for what I love, too.
0: Yeah. Well, the, and, and the river does serve many, many things other than just angling. It's, uh, yeah. it, it's, it, exactly. it's a, a beautiful resource for, for a lot, a lot of people and de- deserving of our attention and
1: efforts. There was a fella that uh, grew up in his family-owned property just a couple doors down from our cabin on Black Bear Drive off Thindera, uh Jim Enger. Sure, and and he's he's died, uh, you know. I mean, it that, happens, right? That was right? another force of the universe. Yeah, and and he wrote a book, the complete and incomplete. incomplete angler. Mm-hmm. I, I gotta be careful how I, I say it. But in that book, uh, uh, along with other marvelous stories that he told, he said that that he loves fishing, but fishing is only one of the things that he loves about the river. And that was almost like he gave me permission to not feel guilty about not fishing more. Um, So anyway, another another person that uh, on Black Bear Drive. We
0: we uh, there are a lot of people that knew Jim that we should probably sit down and try and figure out how to do a podcast about him because he was quite a unique human. Mm-hmm. I think wasn't he responsible for uh, hooking Volker up with his I don't know eight or nine X <laughs> the, the unobtainium tippet or something. Uh, yeah. I there's some story to that end. But yeah. I know
1: that he um, he was a force uh, maybe not exactly behind, but as part of the Kirtland Warbler Festival at Kirtland Community College for years, because he, he worked at the college and, and was a, uh, heavily involved in that. And, um, that's another interesting environmental story. That it became a protect, protected species at the same time that, um, Endangered Species Act, went into effect or got passed, and it's, to it's one of the, if not the only, species to, uh, be delisted or approach being delisted, uh, due to, to, uh, management of the environment.
0: Yeah, that was just last year, right? It date? Yeah,
1: uh, with the with the. Planting jack pine
0: mm-hmm.
1: that eventually got big enough for them to, for the little bird to nest near, and uh, eradicating cowbirds. That's a big deal. So, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So. They do. Them.
0: Well, David, thank you. you. Thank you not only for entertaining us and entertaining our listeners, but for all the work that you and... Um, I'd be remiss, I'd, I think, if I didn't mention Marie, because um, I got a feeling she's pretty much at your side on all these efforts.
1: Well, pretty much almost always, I think, is more accurate. Yeah. I mean, it's rare that she's not. Uh, and I tell people if it wasn't for Marie, I wouldn't be here. I mean, specifically talking to you right now, but on the river uh, involved in these different things. We just, uh, it led, you know, when we started talking about things, we had, we agreed so much on things that we ended up going in that direction. And, and, uh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I give her credit for, There's, there's a lot so to be much. said it was,
0: yeah. you know, behind every successful man as a super successful, intelligent woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, thank you. Thank you very well, much. Again, uh, thank you for having and, uh, me. And listeners, uh, we'll, uh, we'll follow this up. Uh, we'll get back on our track now. We took a little uh, extra time off around the Memorial Day holiday, and uh, we'll be back on track with... Uh, regular podcast for you. So until next time, mind your back cast. Yeah, as always a great fun and a good conversation. Um, one thing that we did touch on uh, and, and I want to underscore it uh, as we go forward and we'll be talking about this a little more in future podcasts, but uh, the current Didymo situation uh, on the Man of Steve bears your attention. Uh, find your favorite fly shops website uh everybody's going to have something up about it so uh stay informed do the right thing and uh again uh probably one of the themes that you're going to see us pursue as the summer goes on will be uh uh not only things of historic nature but uh what 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 the future history might hold for us uh, as it relates to the changing face of fishing. So more to follow on that. Until then, enjoy your time and uh, tell a friend to listen in. Thanks, everybody.